Welcome to North Peak Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. See what I told you? That music just kind of gets you. <laughs> well, it's good to be home um, after spending two weeks in Uganda. And, and I have finally, finally this week, Friday night, I could say, I think I have, I think I have fully recovered from jet lag. Um, because within the last two-week period, I spent, I figured it out the other day, I spent the equivalent of about three or four days sitting on a plane or sitting in an airport or traveling to and from an airport. You know, out of two weeks, that's an awful lot of time to be spending on planes. And actually, I figured it out that in a 26-hour period, I spent about 21 and a half hours sitting on a plane. And here's what I have noticed. Here's what I've noticed now after traveling on, on three different flights on the way over there, three different flights on the way back. Nobody pays attention to the instructions. <laughs> have you noticed that? You know, they make the announcements at the gate and nobody's paying attention, you know, and then people get up there and they got to stop. Oh, I'm supposed to take off my belt. Do I have to take off my shoes? You know, it, and then you get on the plane. You get on the plane and the, you know, the pilot comes on and he tells you about the flight and we should be pulling back from the gate in a minute and nobody's paying attention. And then the stewardess, you know, the, in fact, I've, I've seen it in Swahili, I have heard it in Dutch, I've heard it in English. In the event of an emergency, you know, and, and they go through the whole thing. Fasten your seatbelt when the seatbelt light comes on. When it comes off, you can take it off again. In the event of emergency, masks will drop from the ceiling. Please put it on your own face, you know. Please take time to observe where your exit rows are, the emergency. And nobody's paying attention. You know, they're all reading. They're all, you know, listening to their iPods. They're talking on their cell phones. Nobody's paying attention. And I realized that I don't pay attention to that stuff. The only reason I paid attention was it was in a different language, you know, and it just kind of caught me by surprise. Nobody pays attention. This is important information. I mean, if you think about it, this could be life-saving information. And I remember thinking to myself at one point, well, at least I hope the people sitting in the emergency exit rows are paying attention because I want them to know what to do when something happens. We are so familiar, I think, and so comfortable that when important information is being given out, it's like, yeah, 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 I know that. There are some messages in life that we ought to pay attention to. My, uh, I remember my dentist once told me, you know, he's giving me the lecture on flossiness, yeah, yeah, you know, and I floss like the week before my dental appointment, and that's about it. <laughs> you know, I remember him saying to me, well, you don't have to floss all of your teeth, and I thought, oh, that's good news. And then he said, only the ones you want to keep. You got my attention. When the doctor tells you, okay, it's time to cut out fatty foods, you ought to pay attention. Husbands, when your wives are dropping subtle hints about Christmas presents, you better pay attention. There are some messages in life that we ought to be paying attention to. Scripture tells us that God has been speaking to the world. And we are so familiar, I think, at times with the story of Christmas that we're not paying attention. So this Christmas season, I would like us to look at a different aspect of the Christmas story. The cosmic behind the scenes, if you will. And that's what the Gospel of John gives us. John doesn't tell us about Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men and angel choirs and all of that stuff. John gives us the behind the scenes picture. And John says, God's been speaking to the world. John 1. In the beginning, he says, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men may believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John's telling us God's speaking here. In fact, he uses three very important words. Word, light, and life. And in those three words, he is summarizing what God has been doing in history from the very, very beginning. God has been making himself known. And like I said before, I think our familiarity with the story We haven't understood the depths of what's behind it. And by getting this cosmic backstory, if you will, we're getting an insight into what God is doing and what God is saying. Because through Mary, through Joseph, through angels, through shepherds and magi and all of that, God was speaking. So the question is, what's he saying? If God is speaking, if Jesus is the word made flesh, if he is God's expression to us, then what is it that God is saying? What is it that he wants us to know? Well, one thing's clear from all of this is that God wants you to know who he is. That's the, that's the point of all of this. The very first description in John's gospel is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14, the word became flesh and lived among us. It is God's nature to make himself known. God wants you to know him. The story of God in this fallen world is one of God speaking and God revealing and God making himself known. The writer to the Hebrews put it this way. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. This is the fullest expression of God to us. He wants to make himself known. All through human history, he has been speaking. And he has done it in a lot of ways. To Moses, he appeared in a, in a burning bush that never burned up. He appeared to the whole nation of Israel in, in a mighty cloud on the top of Mount Sinai as he gave the law. He spoke through prophets. He spoke to kings. He spoke at one time, actually it's recorded in scripture, he actually spoke through a donkey, which is something my preaching professor always reminded us in school. <laughs> you know, if you ever get to the point and you think, well, hey, you did a pretty good job preaching, just understand, God can use any old ass. <laughs> and it's true. 
I prove that every Sunday. The Christmas story is God speaking. I mean, look and read through the story again, Matthew's account and Luke's account, and read, it is all about God revealing himself. And he does it in different ways to different people. God speaks to Mary, he sends an angel. It's a personal one-on-one because he wants her to understand what's about to happen. You need to hear this firsthand, one-on-one. To Joseph, he speaks through a dream. Through wise men who are stargazers, he speaks through a star. To shepherds out on a hillside, he uses a whole angel choir because shepherds are a little slow on the uptake. (laughs) But the point is he speaks to people in the way that they would understand. And that's what Jesus' coming is all about. God wants you to know what he is like. He wants you to know what matters most to him. He wants you to understand what it is that stirs his heart. He wants you to know how deeply, deeply he loves He wants you to know how graciously he forgives. And if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the expression of God. In fact, the NIV puts it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what moves God's heart, look at what moved Jesus' heart. If you want to know what God has to say about certain things, listen to the words of Jesus. If you want to know how God cares about children, you look at how Jesus treated children. When families wanted to bring their children to Jesus to bless them, and the disciples said, no, no, he doesn't have time for that. Jesus said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Let the little children come to me. This is the kingdom of God. If you want to know how Jesus feels about religious hypocrites, look at his scoldings of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. If you want to know how Jesus cares about the suffering and the needy and the hurting of this world, look at how he reached out and touched lepers, how he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. You want to know what God feels about sinners? Look at how Jesus made time for them and included them and spoke to them You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. See, the fact is that whether you know it or not, God has been speaking to you since the day you were born. You may not have always recognized his voice, but he has been speaking to you since the day he was born. And that is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. That we believe that God himself has spoken. That God himself has come to us. That God himself has revealed himself and made himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question might be that you have this morning is, well, if God is always speaking to us and God wants to make himself known to us, why doesn't he do it in a more obvious way? I mean, why doesn't he, you know, the, what we usually picture God speaking like, you know, with the lightning and the thunder and the big booming voice, this is God. You know, why doesn't he just do it so obviously that nobody could miss it? Because obviously, back in Jesus' time, a lot of people missed it. And obviously, ever since then, for the last 2,000 years, people have missed it. Why didn't he speak in a more obvious way? Why a baby? That's a good question. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, philosopher and theologian, thought long and hard about that. He said, how can I explain this? Because it's, it's hard to understand. And he described it this way. He said, it's as if a king fell in love with a peasant girl. 
and he loved this peasant girl, but he knew that if he brought the peasant girl into his throne room, into his royal palace with all of the majesty and all, that she would be so overwhelmed, that she would be so um, awestruck by it, that she wouldn't be able to love him for who he was. And so this king decided to take off the royal robes and to remove the crown and to leave the palace and to go live in a hovel. He said, the king surrendered the palace for a hovel. He surrendered the crown for the relationship. You see, nobody's afraid of a baby. (laughs) And when God speaks using a little infant, he is making himself accessible to everyone. In fact, it is amazing to me, if you think about it, the two most celebrated events in the Christian calendar are what? Christmas and Easter. God at his weakest, God at his greatest. God, it's a little infant, baby, totally dependent. I I can't wrap my brain around that. God dying on a cross, being killed by the very people that he came to forgive. (laughs) I don't get that. But it is God making himself known. John put it this way, no one has ever seen God, but God, the only son who is at the father's side, has made him known. Not only does God want you to know who he is, he also wants you to understand, he understands who you are. See, that's the other thing about this whole way God came to us. He understands who you are. He didn't insulate himself from the human condition. He wasn't born into wealth or prosperity or into a king's palace. And again, it's not what we would expect. That's why John writes about it this way. He said, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Why? Because that's not what we would expect. If he's going to become a man, at least come with, you know, a lot of fanfare. Friedrich Nietzsche, an agnostic, atheistic philosopher, had a real hard time with this. He wrote a book called The Antichrist. And he wrote about his rejection of Christianity. And one of his basic basic, um, fundamental things that he could not get over was the fact that Christianity embraces the weak, it embraces the base, it embraces the unimportant. And I thought to myself, yeah, (laughs) that's the point. He wants us to understand he knows you, he knows me. He's born in a backwater town in an obscure corner of the big Roman Empire to an impoverished couple in unsanitary conditions wrapped in rags. That is not what you would expect of God. But he wants you to know he understands life. He understands your life. Now, most of you probably at home have a nice little pretty manger scene set up somewhere, you know, if you've done your Christmas decorations. You're going to walk through and you're going to see those all around town. You see them in places all around the, all around the, the area. And, and we look at that, and we've, you know, we've got our own little nice little creche, and it's got the little barn, and it's got the clean donkey. Have you ever been in a barn? I mean, really. I mean, you have these pictures of this beautifully well-lighted, you know. It's a messy place. Yeah, I, I spent a couple of weeks in Uganda and visited a few barns in Uganda. They are really messy places. It stinks. It's filthy. There is not one, there was not one shred of clean hay anywhere, let me tell you. And yet that is where Jesus is born. And what God is saying to us is, our God does messy. (laughs) 
He comes to a messy world filled with messy people who live messy lives, and he's not afraid of it. He takes on our humanity because he didn't come to just lecture us in theology. He came to give us life. One writer put it this way. If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent a savior. Our greatest need was for love. So God gave us what he loved the most. Our greatest need was for life. So Jesus came and lived it among us. Some of you are going to buy Christmas presents for your kids this year. And they're going to come with this assembly instructions. <laughs> you know, and you're going to try and figure out how part A fits into slot B and all of that kind of thing. And it's going to be, you know, this whole directions. And if you're like me, you're not going to read them at all. You're just going to figure it out on yourself until you get to a spot where it doesn't work. And then you're going to go back and read the directions. <laughs> if all God wanted to do was give us directions, he could have just given us a book. But the book that we have been given is a book about life. <laughs> and I do a lot better when somebody shows me how to do it than I do dealing with the instruction booklets. Jesus came to show us life as it was meant to be lived. John puts it this way. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at that sentence. We have seen his glory. What is the glory? It is not in, the, it is not in all of the robes of royalty. It is not in the trappings of privilege and, and um, affluence. The glory of God is seen in the grace and truth of Jesus. And he is the only one that lived out those two things so perfectly. He was able to speak truth to people about their sin and yet did it in a way that brought them grace and forgiveness. A woman is caught in adultery and brought them, and by all aspects of the law, she is deserving of being stoned to death. And Jesus stops the crowd from stoning and says, if you have no sin, you throw the first stone. And nobody can do it. And the only person who could have done it was Jesus. And when he says, where are your accusers? She said, there are none, Lord. Then he says, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. <laughs> he spoke truth to her about her condition. And he offered her forgiveness and grace and the chance to change. That is the glory of God. It is seen as Jesus lives out this balance of grace and truth and fulfills them both. And then he says, that's how you live. He wants you to know he understands life. He understands your life. And you might say to yourself, you know, what he's asking me to do is impractical. It's unrealistic. It's just too difficult. Or you might be going through things and you've been disappointed or you've been misunderstood. Or maybe you've dealt with temptation and you struggle with things in your life. The writer of Hebrews says, let us cling to him and, and never stop trusting him. Jesus, this high priest of ours, understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he didn't sin. There is no one in this room that can ever say to God, but you don't understand. Because he does. Because he lived it. And whatever your struggle might be, whatever your hurts might be, whatever your failures might be, whatever, whatever the things in your life that make you feel um, overwhelmed, 
Whatever God is asking you to do and, and commanding you to do that seems so impractical or so unrealistic or just way too hard to do, and you cannot say to him, but you don't understand my life, because he does. He does. There is nothing about your life that you can say to God, but you don't understand. Because in Jesus, he took on that life in every respect. He understands. He understands who you are. And I think the third thing that comes across is that God wants you to know he will never give up on you. Because of what Jesus has done, the relationship between man and God has fundamentally changed. He came as the word to express to us. He came as life to live it in front of us. And he came to make us his own. He goes on in verse 12, says, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The very same word that was at the beginning, speaking in creation, is the very same word that speaks once more in human history and says, you are now my child. You are my child. And that is unheard of. That was unheard of in Jesus' time. It is unheard of today. That God would call us his children. I mean, really. In fact, John picks up the idea in his first letter to the churches. He said, how great is the love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then he doesn't leave it there. He says, and that is what we are. God has spoken a new creation. God has spoken to us that we could become his children and to know him. And to live in that relationship that has fundamentally changed. Jesus linked his life with yours and with mine. He said to his followers, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you because I live, you also will live. Now I want you to hear this morning, wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, whatever struggles you've gone through, whatever failures you have experienced, whatever mess you've made of your life, he will not give up on you. He will not give up on you. In 27 plus years of pastoral counseling, I have dealt with some circumstances and with some people that I, I, you know, in all honesty, as they're telling me their story, I'm sitting there praying, God, what in the world am I going to say to this person? And there are people that I know that have made absolute messes of their lives. And it is incredible to be able to look them in the eye and say, you are not beyond hope. Whatever you've done, whatever mess you have made, God does messy. (laughs) It doesn't scare him at all. He will not give up on you. Whatever you have done, he never stops loving. He will forgive. He will restore. And I know that all of us in this room have messes in our own lives. In fact, if we were to do a little messy inventory this morning, I ask you, just in the last 12 months, just in the last 12 months, if there's just one aspect of your life, relationally, um, uh, intellectually, whatever, whatever it might be, if there's one area in your life that you would say, honestly, if I think about it, I made a little bit of a mess in this world this year. Or maybe you think you've got your life pretty much together, but the person next to you, you're not quite so sure of, you know? <laughs> we can all relate to this. In fact, I, I just, show of hands this morning. How many would say, in all honesty, you know, Yeah, there's at least one area in my life that I've kind of made a mess of things this last 12 months. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't faze him at all. Doesn't faze him at all. His love will never give up on you. There have been times in my own life, those quiet moments of self-examination, 
And I look at the garbage in my life and maybe the stuff that I keep really well hidden from everybody else around me, but I can't keep hidden from God. And I look at my life and I say, God, how could you love me? How could you? It's what God does. The good news is this. He doesn't care how messy your life is. He doesn't care what it is that you have done and what you have gone through. He will never stop loving you. John, again, put it this way. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And and, and that sentence is so, in the original language, it is so intense and so packed with all kinds of meaning that it's really hard to write out. And so in the Amplified Bible, what they do is they put out like every possible phrase that you could do to kind of give the idea. And here's how the Amplified Bible puts it. For out of his abundance, we have all received, all have shared, and we're all supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and even favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. (laughs) And that just begins to express what John's trying to say in that one little sentence. That is the love of God. And he wants you to know that he wants you to know him and that he already knows who you are so you can be honest and open with him and he will never give up on you. He will never stop loving you. You bow your heads for a moment. These are the words of the Christmas story. These are the words of God that you need to hear this morning. That God wants you to know him. He's not hiding from you. He's making himself known. But you've got to learn to see him. You've got to learn to listen to him. And he also wants you to know he knows you and understands you right where you're at. And he wants you to know that his love for you will never give up. But now here's your part. John said there were those that he came to that didn't recognize him, that wouldn't receive him, wouldn't accept him. There's a decision here. He says those who believed, those who received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. That's your decision and mine. The message is clear. God wants to make himself known to you. But you got to open up. There's a decision to be made. There's a response that's required. And for some of you, that might be the very first step of faith for you this morning. To make that message your life's message. And you gotta admit your mess. And you gotta own up to your garbage. And you gotta receive his forgiveness. And then commit to live in this new love, this new life. For others, you've made that first commitment maybe. But your life has been kind of in drift mode. A lot of other stuff going on. And you're so familiar with the Christmas story. You're so familiar with God's grace that it's become almost like you don't hear it anymore. And maybe for you, it's time to get serious about this. Say, you know, I've drifted too long. And for others still, maybe you're living in that life and you're you're, you're right connected with him pretty much all the time. And, And maybe your prayer this morning is, Lord, break through in a new way this Christmas season. Let me hear you. Let me see you in a way that I never have before. And see what he will reveal to you. And your prayers, Lord, just speak your words of love and comfort and healing and peace to me. Wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to take a step about it. 
make a decision about it. Do it as we pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making yourself known. Thank you for doing it in a way that everybody could understand. Thank you for doing it in a way in which you made yourself accessible. You know me. You know the parts of me that I keep well hidden. You know the messes that I have made even in these last 12 months. I need your forgiveness. I need that life within me. I want to live in that relationship with you. So I own up to my stuff. And I ask your forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that you would infuse me with your life and with your love. That I might live a different way from here on out. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.